0: This week on Plot Points Podcast, we welcome Jeff Lyons. He's number two on our list. Then we make a top ten list of the fifteen best sci fi movies ever, and it makes about that much sense. And then we remind all our listeners to never write without protection. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is Plot Points Podcast.
1: All right. Uh, This is a special, although we didn't do anything special for it, this is a special podcast for Plot Points Podcast. My name is Mark Seve. With me, I have uh, Toby Walwork. Good morning. And uh, the inimitable Jeff Lyons. Good morning. This is actually our anniversary, uh, one year. This is our twenty-sixth podcast. Oh, wow! Which, which makes it, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe, huh, Toby? It seems like, it seems like we just started. I keep thinking it's like twelve or thirteen, but yeah. Uh,
0: well, I had four in the pool, so I'm not going to win any money.
1: <laughs> well, it's great to have Jeff with us on our. 26th uh and so i i don't know if this is 26 meaning or if it's first of the new year first of the second uh the second year but uh wow. i don't know if we're s1 uh e1 s2 e1 or or whatever but uh, I, th- I
0: think the next one will be s2 e one, S s2 e1 okay i think so
1: this is our so this is our cliffhanger episode almost, this is it right? yeah
2: one of us has to shoot somebody. By yeah, the end somebody has head. somebody has to die unexpectedly. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> or that that door that that uh, what's her name opens. Carrie Washington opens is going to be she's going to have that expression on her face, but we're not going to see who's behind that door <laughs> till next season. So. Yeah, but isn't that how they ended every episode of that show? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, you know, it's like, it just ended, um, which I think is quite an accomplishment. That woman just Shonda Rhimes just really kicked ass. Yeah. So. Good for her. Good for her. So we had um, OC Screenwriters and OC Film and Television, which is a, a project of OC Screenwriters, just had our uh, Wednesday event. Um, Toby, you weren't able to attend because of work. I was not because of work. And Jeff, um, I don't even know if you knew about it because we're no, not. No, I didn't. Yeah. Well, you got to get on an email list. We've got to get you on an email list. But um, Oh, had... good. Huh? <laughs> Another email list. That's Excellent. right. Hey, this one's a good one. We only send out <laughs> stuff that's important. We
2: never spam you. So. <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. We all we've all all never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> However, we do really exciting
0: things
1: with your personal information.
2: Well, what yeah. what's, So you have a TV, you have a TV you have a TV vision division now as well of, of OC. Um,
1: no, the the explanation is this: um, OC screenwriters sounds like it's for screenwriters only, which it's never been for screenwriters only. So we started a new uh, meetup kind of situation on every third Wednesday. We have a speaker uh-huh. and that speaker it, and it's at a coffee shop in Costa Mesa. It's free, um, which is a big difference between we, you know, when we do our claim jumper events, we have to charge 25, 30 bucks for the meal. Right. Um. Which isn't our choice, but that's just the only way you can do it these days. Um. So the the Wednesday, every third Wednesday, is under the the guidance of uh, OC Film and Television, which is a more ex- exclusive inclusive um organization. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like it's just screenwriters. And in fact, um, oh, cool. next month we have an actress coming in. Um. You know, we'd like to get you there, obviously, uh, at some point. But I mean, it doesn't have to be about screenwriters. That's the whole point of the organization. Oh, cool! Yeah. So we had uh, James an attorney. He's an entertainment attorney. Um, and I have it later in the show, if we have time for the Q and A, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things he mentioned, which I thought were pretty interesting. Um, but he's a friend of the organization too, so he's. It was cool. Plus, um, so next month on uh, what. What day is it? May twentieth, um, I think. Uh, Tiana Lee, who's a fifteen-year-old actress with ten years of experience in the business, TV actress, and her mom are going to be talking, and that'll be great because, um, it, again, it'll it'll involve a different group of people, yeah, uh, different subset.
2: So she'll be chain smoking Pall Malls and, <laughs> and drinking whiskey,
0: yeah. Well, because she's 15. She has 15. She has 10 years of experience, which means she's been lying about her age for 10 years. Right. <laughs> she's actually 35.
1: Right. That, exactly. I don't know. She's, well, she's a student, too. So, so uh, she's actually a really good writer. I, I'm, I hate her because she's such a good writer. You know, it's like she's beautiful. She's talented. She's a good writer. Um, all the threats. Yeah, all the exactly. All the threats. <laughs> um, and so she's coming up on May 20th, and then after that is Frank Chindamo who's a really, really interesting guy to talk about new media. That's in June. And then in July, we just booked uh, Kristen D'Alessio, who is an independent filmmaker whose film will be opening on May 5th called Alex and the List, starring Jennifer Morrison. And the kid from uh, Almost Famous, I can't remember the actor. Uh, Patrick Fugit? Yes. Yeah. So they just did their film, it'll they found distribution. It'll be interesting. So anyway, so we have a great lineup. We're trying to book three months in advance in order to keep it going and stuff like that. So, cool. And then on June second, I'll just mention this really quickly. Um we're having the writer directors from um the gallows, the movie The Gallows. And their production company is affiliated now with Bloomhouse, uh, which is a huge uh horror film. Uh, mm-hmm. Production company. So, mm-hmm. but they're coming to the Claim Jumper on June second, which is a Saturday mor- uh, Saturday afternoon, twelve to four, uh, in order to talk about uh, their journey and and uh, so they're really great guys. I talked to I've talked to Travis, uh, but not Chris uh, yet. So we're waiting on to hear from them. So cool. a lot of things happening with the OC screenwriters. What do you guys been working on? Anything writing or working on anything?
2: Jeff. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Um, It's interesting. We're talking about TV because I'm, 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 uh, deep, deep, deep up to my chin hairs in a TV project right now for China. And uh, it's been a huge education, not just in terms of developing a pilot for a series, but you know, working with China and understanding the logistics of what has to happen to do a co-production and censorship issues and all that kind of stuff, it's it's been it's been incredibly amazing. You know, just really educational and you know, craft-wise educational. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew television pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. until until I really got into it. And I've been working with. Um, uh, a wonderful organization. They teach. They te- it's called Script Script Anatomy. T- Tanya um, who's executive producer on on um, oh my gosh, I forgot the, I forgot the name of the show. But it's a current show. All everybody who teaches their, their her workshops, they're all working writers in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been working really closely, like probably consulting with them. Because this producer in China I'm working with hired them to you know be be another pair of eyes on the project you know oh, interesting. hired me to help with development and just get the story right and you know as much as I knew about television when you actually have to talk to people that have to deliver a script in a week um, you really learn the, the the nuts and the bolts of really delivering in television and what it mm-hmm. takes to get a series off the ground it's absolutely fascinating
1: yeah that sounds like it it would be very valuable.
2: And we all know in Hollywood, you know, after 40, you know, you're, you know, you're pushing up daisies, right? Yeah. So, but what I'm hearing from these 30, 40-something 30, writers who are, you know, working is that all the showrunners, or most of the showrunners, they very often will want other voices in the writing room that represent values and, and historical experience and other things that open the door for older writers. Right. You know, so they want
1: um, they want somebody in the room who'll laugh at their uh ref, their
2: jokes, laugh, from... laugh at their 1960s, you know, <laughs> political jokes. Yeah. You know, and and but they want these, these varying view viewpoints and experiences to fill out the team. So yeah. while they're not going to be hiring, you know, you know, six people, you know, over the age of 40, probably there are opening, you know, it's not, the door isn't closed. Right. You, oh, that's good to hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, it sounds fantastic. Actually we should, we'll probably post a link, uh, to whoever that is. I can't remember what you said the company was.
2: Uh, script anatomy. Yeah.
1: Script anatomy. Okay. So we'll post a link. Wonderful. Okay. That sounds great. Uh, Toby, have you been working on anything, anything? I mean, I know you you have a full time job as an yeah. editor. Uh, Nothing I can tell you about. No, sorry. Okay. Well, um, well, then we'll just we'll pass you off today. This that's week. it, Jesse. Just, okay. just blah, yeah, blah. Um, <laughs> so I've been working on my book proposal again, continuing. Um, and Jeff was very helpful in getting me started in this because he's done several uh, books on writing and, <clears throat> excuse me, how to how to do what you need to do. Uh, but I had a weird experience where I had the 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 agent that uh, in, in New York that's interested in it give me one direction, and then another person who worked quite a bit in the business for thirty years give me a completely different direction. So I'm really, sitting, right. I'm kind of paralyzed to tell you the truth.
2: What was what was the what was the
1: contradiction? Um, most, both of them agreed. Well, let's put it this way. You know, Janet, right? She's the one that I'm right. talking about in New York. Okay. So she gave me, uh, she not only gave me, uh, the direction to change it from first person to third person, which I found interesting and which I did, she told me, um, she gave me a proposal that, uh, she thought would be helpful for me to take a look at. And it's 40 pages, um, which is a quite a bit now, I mean, Maybe this is typical for nonfiction books, but Wait, that,
2: does that does that include the writing sample?
1: Uh yes, but still, okay. you know, that's even if you take ten pages, twelve pages, or whatever. Um it's quite you know what I've noticed about it, it's very extensive and very dense. And then um this other woman, Pamela, told me to put it in first person. So she pretty much changed it back to where it was and then told me to keep it as short as possible. So Um, so I mean, there's, there's, there's kind of a diametric opposition there between first person and third person. So anyway, that's what I'm working on. Um, Tob, can you mention some of the contact information for
0: Absolutely. I always mean to write this down, but I'll go from memory. You can, first of all, uh, to find out more about what we're up to, you can visit us at PlotPoints.com or PlotPointsPodcast.com. That's information specific to the podcast. You can stream previous episodes. It's also where Mark does extensive show notes with links and every piece of information that we discuss in the show if you want to find out more about it. That's PlotPoints.com or PlotPointsPodcast.com. If you want to call and leave us a message, you can do so at 919 scripts. That's 919s I I don't have my phone in front of me, but those correspond to numbers somehow.
1: Yes.
0: And uh, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. And uh, we do do a QA and a segment through a lot of the episodes. And that's where we get those uh, questions from. So if you have a question about screenwriting or whatever your favorite film is or anything to do with the show, please give us a call at 919-SCRIPTS. And uh, I'll touch on some of the other locations. You can get in touch with us later.
1: Okay. Um, so this week we talk, we're we going to talk about um, – be, before I, w- I went ahead with this, even though I wanted to do One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because of Miles Foreman's death, and I thought that script would be interesting to break down. We'll be doing that next time. So the next podcast we'll be breaking down One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But this week we're going to do Wind River, which I liked to – I, I signed it to my class. I looked at the script – I thought this is a well, well-written script with a lot of uh, weird – not weird, but um, I call it inner narrative, the idea that you're putting something on the page that the audience can't necessarily see. But it's – what it's. I love this guy's writing. I, I don't know why. I just like the way he phrases things. So did um, were you guys able – I, I, it, it helps to see the movie to know what's not in the movie. So I saw the movie twice. Uh, did you guys have a chance to see the movie? Yeah, I'd seen the movie before I read
0: this, mm-hmm. so um, it, it reminded me of stuff. I didn't get the chance to go back and watch it, but I am going to because I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. like like you said, I really enjoyed some of the way that this stuff is phrased. It, it rekindles some of that for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got some, um, I mean, for instance, uh, the, the opening on page one, uh, this is the script now. It says, Snow covers an endless pl- plane on a moonless night which is a great visual to begin with. Clumps of sagebrush huddled together like angry gnomes are the only evidence of life in this place. There is no movement, no sound, until the sound of feet crushing snow moving toward us fast. A girl runs uh, past us, screaming. So he starts with a an immediate uh, action, a tone. He sets the mythology. Uh, basically, it's going to take place in the snow in, uh, it's in Wyoming. I don't know if that's ever put on the screen, but it's not in the script, but it doesn't matter because uh, it's one of those places where the, where the snow becomes, the area becomes a character in and of itself, uh, which is an interesting way to, to do anything because if you're doing a, an environment that's particularly harsh, everything is twice as hard. And um, certainly in this case, um, it, the story is about a young woman. They find the body of a young woman and it's on an Indian reservation. She's, she's an Indian. And um, the, the, they send an FBI agent who's not used to the area and stuff like that. And then she teams up with Jeremy Renner, who is a hunter for the uh, Forestry Service. So it's quite an interesting um, – it's not – it's more of a drama, right? I, I think would, – wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would, I would say drama. Yeah. So um, there's an instant problem. Uh, because what they say is angle on bare feet, slamming frozen earth, blood staining the snow with every step. So this woman is not only running and screaming in the middle of the snow; she's barefoot, which no person in their right mind would do. So obviously, there's a problem. We can agree that's a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, there's a there's this beautiful voiceover that uh, that is put over this thing. It says, "Girl's voice voiceover." There's a meadow in my perfect world where wind dances the branches of a tree casting leopard spots of light across the face of a pond so wind river is the reservation uh but this uh this girl's voice i think is that did you take the sense that that was his jeremy renner's daughter
0: um honestly i didn't and i got i have to say that when i read this part again i didn't remember it from the film mm. and this would be the first thing i'd go back and check because it's it's uh it the word is very pretty it's sort of conspicuous as far as why it's there, but I'd yeah. have to assume it's the girl. Like this is sort of a mantra she's saying in her head because she's, she's going this, this distance as mm-hmm. was revealed in just a couple of pages, but she's, she's definitely, it's, it's sort of like, um like a, it's a mantra. It's a resolve because she's got to keep going.
1: Right. Right. Um, so then it segues into page two. She basically at the end of page one falls out of frame, which is different from the movie because in the movie we see her fall, but in yeah. the script, we don't know. Uh, what hap- What her uh, what her fate was, and then um, so that voiceover continues, and then um, there's a, I um, it, I mean, there's kind of a like he does this constantly. The faster she runs, the farther the heart horizon moves from her, as if the Earth is tilting to prevent this girl from reaching her destination. So I, while you can do that directorially, I don't believe they did that in the in the film, but certainly you could do that, and then um, but. There's at the, at the at very end of the scene is when she falls out. of It says, we watch from a distance. Her white pants match the snow. Her black hair matches the night. All we can see is a baby blue coat that floats above the plains, like a wayward balloon bouncing above a white desert. So at the end of the scene in the movie, she falls and we see her fall. We see her bleeding, um, which is kind of a particular, there's a one particular, she dies in a very particular way. Um, she doesn't die from her injuries, um, she dies from a, a phenomenon where you're inhaling air that's so cold yeah. it's freezing your lungs.
0: Your lungs basically, uh, you, you,
1: you, you, what they? It's, it's not suffocate, you drown. Yeah, you drown in, in your own blood. And yeah. that has something to do with the ending, which is pretty cool because they reprise. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. very nice. So, um, Then we cut to, which is not in the script, um, the, the next scene in the movie is is Jeremy Renner. Uh, and he's a hunter, and he's shooting coyotes that are attacking sheep. But he's in a camouflage white. Uh, he, it's like he's an assassin, all, like a sniper. Yeah. Right? yeah. Coyotes. But in the script, they show us um, that he's with the Forestry Service. Um, and then they show him, um, you know, cowboy hat on his head, almost white when it was new, sweat, dirt, and who knows what else, have stained the hat brown and rubbed it, robbed it of its shape a fair description of the man as well, which I thought was really nicely done. Um, so we don't see any of that. We just go right to this uh, sagebrush prairie, prairie where he's shooting coyotes. And uh, Toby, I, I know you're a fan of good writing. I mean, how did you feel about the way that... I I just love this. Well yeah, about- actually... Uh, the, for for this, for the whole, all
0: 15 pages, I would say this. And for the whole script, the, 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 the uh, I forgot the guy's name because Taylor Sheridan, right? That's the writer. Yes. His his voice is, it's funny because we often talk about having a conspicuous voice is often a negative. Like I, I like Shane Black, but he does have a conspicuous voice. Yes, yes. Uh, Tarantino has a conspicuous voice and a lot of people are turned off by that. And, and especially when you're being taught screenwriting, you're, you're really being told to kind of rein a lot of that in. Mm-hmm. This is if you could find like this this blend this like it's it's like almost like using a clutch it's like just not too much clutch mm-hmm. this is fantastic mm-hmm. and the fact that he describes wardrobe um, I've read a lot of stuff where people describe wardrobe and I hate it
1: mm-hmm.
0: but here the wardrobe is relevant it's not just somebody showing off how creative they are right and and a lot of this stuff does that too it really paints a picture also conspicuous only in retrospect is that all of these you know nature channel bits mm-hmm. <laughs> are are so much of an analogy about the entire film itself right right but at first you're just like yeah we get it we get it coyotes yeah okay but but then the way he describes them um, i'm trying to remember there's a bit coming up i think it's it's when they're talking about the sheep
1: yeah and how the talks, sheep
0: he talks about the the Their self-preservation are... has been, you know, uh, bred out of them. Right, right. And so, does, so he's clearly saying that, like, these are people, you know, well, coyotes saying... are the bad people, the predators, and this kind of thing, and that Jeremy Renner's character is this guy between both worlds.
1: Right. Yeah, there's an analogy to what he's doing in the beginning and to who he is as as a person. He's a, he's a hunter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's hunting other hunters, which are coyotes and wolves and stuff, which like you said that that line by the way is on page 4 um it says the flock almost runs into him before dividing and passing on either side they rejoin and continue their silly circle all instinct for survival bred out of them so yeah
0: which is where the writer himself is taking a position about uh it, about how they look at people
1: mhm yes you know like
0: it, it's a uh, it's not necessarily condescending, but it's a little bit like, because people are like this.
1: Yeah. The other thing I got to mention, this guy, uh, this is, I preach this to, the stu- to my students, is his language is so precise. Uh, one of the coyotes is blown backwards, cartwheeling through the snow. I just love that, um, yeah. that sentence. And then more thunder. A second coyote is driven into the ground like he's been hit with a giant hammer. There's no ambiguity about his, yeah. um, his narrative. He's really good at that. Um, yeah,
0: there, there's, a, there's a part where he's talking about, uh, I think it's the Renner's character writing
1: a snowmobile, and it says the snowmobile chews the ground in front there of you it. Go. There you go. It's things like that.
0: that. It's fantastic.
1: That tight action verb kind of stuff. So um, The other thing I thought was interesting uh, about his writing is on page five, I think it is, or four, I'm sorry, still on four, it says when the muzzle flash disappears. So he says the scope begins to move with it. The rifle invades the silence again. Oh, I love that line. Uh, when the muzzle flash disappears, we see the coyote splayed out in the snow. So that's that's kind of quite di- directorial, but it's also a indication that he's 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 not writing like an like I you know I would say a muzzle flash uh, coyote splayed in the snow. I wouldn't do it when the muzzle flash disappears. In other words, he's doing it after the fact. Which I thought was pretty pretty good. So uh, so there's a couple scenes. There's a scene that's completely cut from the from the um, movie on four and five, where he goes to the Bureau of Land Management, and we don't see any of this on four, five on five six. Um, even though there's some interesting information given about um, who he is. None of that is, is in the movie and I can't figure out if it was filmed and cut or if it was just cut, um, from the script before they started to film it. But the next thing that happens in the movie is on page seven where he visits his ex-wife's house, which is not a joyful scene at all. No, no. Yeah. One of the things I thought was a weakness, it shows his son too. He's picking up his son who's kind of a little cowboy, really cool character, but, um, the sun is dropped from the script pretty much after these scenes. And I wondered why that was, did you find that a problem? No, because I remember in the film, that was kind of a thing too. Yeah, no, but I mean, that's what I mean is it's like not, it's not paid off. There's no payoff to that.
0: No, no, but I think I, well, yeah, I I mean, it's sort of a problem, but by the time we're done with the film, it's made so many choices that I I accepted that too, because it's more about it's, it's using Wilma and it's using the sun to explain more about Corey's Mm -hmm. situation Mm -hmm. rather than um rather than just you know it it's just it's just to show where all the damage came from so so yeah there there are more props than characters in this but well i mean by the time it goes down the road i'm okay with that
1: I, i would agree with you except for i would agree with you if that was the last we saw. But then he goes in the in the subsequent pages. He goes to uh, the, his in laws to kill a, a lion that's attacking. Yeah. And the son before that scene, they put the son in a in a outdoor stable with his father. And there's a whole there's a really nice. Maybe that's to mitigate him. I you know maybe that's just to make him seem like because he's an awfully sorrowful guy. I mean he's yeah. very yeah. So let's skip ahead to page either. Let's see. I guess, well, there's a lot of pages on the, on the, um, with the ex-wife. There goes up to page 11. Uh, and then in, and then 12, um, he's with his son again, who's, uh, I guess it's his house in a small corral or something like that. And then, uh, on 13, see, I'm skipping through a lot of this stuff, but, I mean, for instance, there's a lot of inner narrative here that I just really objected to. I, you didn't find that problematic, Toby? No, but again, we, we've differed on
0: that before because I, I do kind of like that stuff, even though I know it's inappropriate. It has to be in in small doses. Mm-hmm. But in this, it was like, well, this is there's a lot of it, but it was really good. so I you know I gave it a pass, which sounds super arrogant, but I'm just like, this is wrong, but I like
1: it. Well, I would again, I would agree with you conditionally is some of it really informs the script. The problem is some of it is meant to be story pertinent, and you don 't get that and so either you have to put it somewhere else or you you need to eliminate it here and i i don 't see him as doing that, so if I had one criticism of the script, it would be that he overreaches that well i 'm also curious and, and jumping ahead a little bit, he did direct this yes i need
0: I would want to now go back and see if he was this i don 't I don't want to say arrogant but confident in his writing, when he was writing, not to direct. Because mm-hmm. this this you can get away with when you know you're directing it. Because he knows that everybody else who's reading this, he's he's trying to win them over. He's trying to, um, you know, get them on his right. side.
1: Well, we so have, I would be curious. We had this discussion about Get Out, which is similar in approach, which is, and, and Mary Claire uh, never agreed with me about this inner narrative thing, because she just always, she said it, it kind of, subverts conventions, but I'm so conservative with, cause I, I probably will never direct anything and I'm just, my stuff all rises and falls on the idea that I got to sell it first. Um, so I, I don't know. I we should probably do a, a whole segment on inner narrative and why it's and do a, a yeah. you know point counterpoint kind of thing. But yeah, I'm going to continue to tell people I don't think it's appropriate. Well, um,
0: and and we've we've discussed in the past that readers, the gatekeepers between uh, the writer and the gigantic golf size check with happy faces for zeros, there's all these gatekeepers and anything they can do to weed you out they're right. going to do and if right. too much of this too directory you know not, not even things that require any sort of true insight mm-hmm. they're going to say no there's just too much of this you know like you said about if the dialogue is thicker than two fingers it's yeah. too much talking you know they, they're looking for those things so you really have to you really have to
1: use your uh, capital wisely Right. And yeah, that's a good way to put it. You have coin, you have some coin and you have, you have a certain wiggle room, but, uh, it also goes away pretty quickly if you don't, uh, if you don't, if you're not this talented, which I think this guy is really talented. I would love to see him do a script without that. If, if he can possibly do it. Um, see here's, here's, um, here's an example on page, uh, is it 11? Yeah. Um, Wilma, his wife, his ex-wife says, if I get the job, we're going to have to talk about child support. Jackson's a lot more expensive. Uh, Corey, we'll get the job. We'll get the rest figured out. You got my word. Then the narrative said, whatever happened to these two, they are unified in their desire to find a better life for their son. That, yeah. Don't you think it's obvious? I mean, why even put that in the script? That's my problem. Is that Because, kind
0: of- because that way, that was just one extra line that said, hey, uh, Jeremy Renner,
1: after you say that line... Nod your head. Look, look, look pensive. Let's look. look yeah, all, right. all right. Well, there's a, there's a, I mean, I don't think the next four or five pages have much to do with the story. Unfortunately, we get to page 15, and that's still him and his son who who basically uh, disappears from the movie after this. Well, yeah, and that's why I say again that it was very much like a prop because the page
0: 15 is right when he uh, – Casey is his son, and he wants to uh, – you know, they're doing some, some business with the horse, and uh, and he shows him – Corey shows him uh, a, a way of, of connecting with the horse. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say communicate, connecting with the horse. Right. And Casey says, that was pretty cowboy, and Corey says, no – that was Arapaho, Arapaho yeah. and that's why, I mean, it, it's a little bit damning with yes. fame and praise, but Casey, excuse me, Casey and Wilma are things to enhance how we understand Corey. And that Corey is a guy between two worlds. There's that scene that's not actually in the film where the, um, the guy from the Bureau says, I forget right. your part, uh, your part Indian. And he goes, uh, enough to do you a favor, but not enough to get a check, which right. is such a cynical line. Yeah.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, we don't get to the introduction of Elizabeth Olson, who's the FBI. But it's a great—I think it's a great introduction because she arrives at the scene. Uh, well, you know, let me ask you this: Did you think it was too convenient that? Um, uh, see, he goes out into the wilderness to hunt this lion, and he runs across the girl's body. Did you think that was too coincidental? Um. Well, I mean, there's a certain like
0: Deus ex machina that's necessary. So, was it too? I, I'll stop short of saying too coincidental, but also because he's one of the people that has a reason to find her and they do make a big deal about how right. it's an area where nobody would go and they by rights they wouldn't have found her till the spring and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I mean I think it's just it's kind of necessary. And if it was anybody
1: else that finds it, we'd have to explain why they were there. Well, the thing the reason I'm saying it's coincidental is because it this lion is part of what he goes to his grand his in law's house for. It's not a part of his fish, his normal fish and game duties. He's just going there. Well, it is, but it isn't. I I just thought it would be it would have been easier or better if um if it was handled. It felt felt a little awkwardly handled to me. Yeah, but, but
0: I also think again that the allegory and, and and it pays off much later is the uh go, looking for something outside of his regular routine is what sets him on this entire path, mm-hmm. and then also at the end um when he does encounter that animal, uh he is we now know that he has changed. Like not not trying to give anything away, but he has changed. And so, you know, because this is not a film that gets all um uh sort of esoteric, but there is a um gosh, what would be basically, you know, there's a quest as well as the mystery as well as who done the murder mm. there's 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 quests that people have to go through for their own uh self improvement mm. and, and his character goes i think through the most noticeable one but um
1: yeah there's but- a, there's a there's a nice matter of factness about this script and this movie that i enjoyed um you, you know they don't go a long way to explain a lot of stuff i mean he 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 joins the quest because he because he can, because he is that kind of a person. It's not. Yeah. There's not. There's not a lot of uh, you know, like stakes for him or anything. Like exactly.
0: That. He has no ego about it. He right. just knows he's the best equipped person to do that job.
1: Well, if you count the fact that his daughter is was is involved in this story too, um, maybe that's a better a better. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good script. It's a good movie. Um, I think it would be um, worthwhile for any student of film. Just to, to do both, to read the script and, and uh watch the movie. So I,
0: Yeah, actually there's one scene I'd love to make a, a callback to, and I don't have a numbered script, so I can't tell you exactly what scene it was, but it's on page fifty-one. And it's it's Corey, the, the Jeremy Renner character, and he's talking to Martin, who is the victim's father. And Oh, what a in, great in remake. the film itself, yeah, I think it's by an exponent the best scene. Yeah. But from a from a director's point of view, and and as an editor, from that point of view, it's really gutsy because yeah. it's almost done entirely with one shot. So, mm. not to be snobby, but that means there's some real acting happening here, you know, because are you they are doing on, it. Are you talking about on the, the porch, yeah. the porch scene, yeah? And it's Corey uh, talking to Martin, and they are acquainted, but now now they're, they're, they 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 have this bond. thing in common. Yeah. Now they're bonded with the loss of their daughter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's Wind River. We're gonna again do uh, Cuckoo's Nest. One floor Um We're gonna segue into uh, what uh, we have a top ten list compliments of Mr. Lyons. Um, are you there, Jeffy? I am. Okay. Uh, so this is top ten. What? Sci-fi. Yeah, what do you think? Because I, you know, you know, Toby and I are going to rebut the shit out of you. So so, yeah. Oh, I, I know,
2: I know, I know. So <laughs> this is
1: we're we're just taking a little sippy drink out of the uh, out I, of the fire hose of
2: science fiction. I'm I'm I've got my armor on. Um, <laughs> but I think a lot of these are, you know, when I mean when you Google top ten science fiction, right? You know, all the lists basically have the same the same movies you know, mm-hmm. to some degree. I found, I thought this was going to be, uh, you know, yeah. Google top 10 times. And, and I actually found this to be incredibly hard. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, just incredibly hard. And, and then, and then when I got to alien, which is like my number three, Uh um, I, I really, I really, my head really exploded because then I began to ask a question. What really is a science fiction movie? That's a good question. And. I don't think alien is a science fiction movie. Uh, and,
1: and, and I, I,
2: we, we don't it. have time to go to, that. <laughs> I know, but, but it's, you know, here's here's the list. Here's the list. Okay. Um, uh, but it's a really interesting issue. Um, metropolis Fritz Lang, 1920s. Silent yeah. movie. forbidden planet. I have alien, but that's off my list now. I think, I think I'm going to replace that with ex machina. Uh,
1: it was a good one.
2: um, Blade Runner, 2001, Mm. Matrix, Day the Earth Stood Still.
1: Oh, wow. Michael Rennie.
2: That's on my list. That's on my list, too. Tarkovsky's Solaris, not the the horror movie. Not the remake? Not the remake. Uh, 1972 Solaris, unbelievable movie. Uh Planet of the Apes and Fantastic Voyage. So Fantastic Voyage being your first one, your number one? No, no, I, I didn't put him in any order. Oh, oh, okay. I think that's impossible. But, yeah, I, I couldn't do that with mine either. But well, I, I, mean, I, I came at the list from the standpoint of who actually was in my. It was by definition science fiction, which means science got. You can't take the science out of the movie and not have it fall apart. I, um, I, did, I would disagree
1: with that. I'm. I know you're a huge science fiction fan. You must know that there's plenty of. Sub genres oh, for science people,
2: fiction. yeah, there's are sub But from, from when you look at what Isaac Asimov and Heinlein and all the science fiction writers describe as what science fiction is, mm-hmm. that's the main component is that y- you cannot, the science drives the conceit, and it's all about tech, it's about the technology and how it impacts and changes the world. And, well, maybe,
1: maybe that's what we need to talk. Let's so, what do you think, Tobe? Let's talk about that instead of, I mean, you can bolster your arguments by using your favorite films but i just i really disagree with that why well i think that like for instance you say the science drives the if the science drives the story then nothing like i didn't uh, say
2: say drives the story i said it drives the conceit
1: yeah but uh, what's what are some of the ones you like forbidden planet what what is that
2: it's all about advanced technology and how it is, how with, if you take away the Krell and you take away all, all of that, the whole, all the, all the, all the Freudian stuff falls away. I mean, you, you've got to have the, the inability of human beings, smallness in the face of these incredible, powerful technology. If you take that out, then it's not the same story.
0: So the, because the Krell made the machine that, that gave Morbius the ability to destroy
2: them all. Well, it that, gave, that him, gave him the ability to, to create the monster, to, to access the power that's within any human being or any being. But because we don't have the wisdom of the Krell, we destroyed ourselves. So we could destroy ourselves with our eggs, right? I mean, that's yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so um, you're, it, you're, you're saying star Wars. Uh, this alien. is why
2: alien isn't a science fiction movie. It's just a monster movie. Terminator. Terminator. Well, Terminator, yeah, because it's our pursuit of a
0: technology that uh, became that
2: results in our destruction. Yeah, it absolutely is science fiction. And also,
0: it's on my list, so I'm going to say yes. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Thing,
2: and I should probably have that on there too. The thing. Uh, the thing. I guess monster, by that, that's just a monster movie.
1: Yeah,
0: that's
2: and yeah, even though, yeah, that was on my list,
0: but it's not really science fiction because
1: I, I, it's know, not a monster we made. Uh, you can't do that. Hey, monsters are science fiction. I don't care if they're no. alien or... Oh, yeah.
2: Mo- monsters are horror with different genre. No, you're t- well,
1: if you're saying sci-fi horror, I would agree with you, but uh, I'm um, saying... We, yeah, if
2: we get into subgenres, then we lose any distinctions, you know? What I
1: mean? no, 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 no. I'm not saying it's a subgenre. I'm just saying it's a, a distinction between... You're making the distinction that it's a monster. I'm saying, yeah, okay, it's sci-fi horror, but it's still sci-fi. At its core, it would not be possible without some sort of science fiction component.
2: Alien. Alien. Instead, same- instead, of a, instead of a mining spaceship, make it a tanker. A tanker hitting a atoll in the middle of the Pacific, and you've got monsters on the island. I mean, it, it, it doesn't change anything.
1: No, it does because the the aliens in Alien are are um, extraterrestrial creatures. They're they, you can't. They're not monsters. They're an advanced civilization that happens to be able to defend itself in a very unique and specific way. So, but it's an advanced civilization. It's not just, they're not just well, monsters.
2: Yeah, we disagree.
1: Well, it's a really interesting dis- discussion because I think some people agree with you, but I, I don't. I See, I even put, I didn't love Guardians of the Galaxy, but I even put Guardians of the Galaxy as a science fiction film. Um, and, and I don't see the distinction between science fiction and subgenres. Like that could be considered... You know, sci-fi comedy or sci-fi space opera. I mean, if you look at, um, there's plenty of sci-fi opera out there with uh, the Expanse, um, and and it has it postulates a perfectly reasonable world. I don't think it should be on. It's a television show, not a movie. I,
2: I, I think I think there I think there are probably. I mean, I I, I agree and disagree. I mean, you know, there, I think that there's always going to be. A gray area for some stories you know just how dependent is it on the technology element to tell the story as a person you know there's always going to be some of that you know give and take i understand even solaris which is considered one of the best sci-fi movies ever written um, which was a novel um but when you look back at the original literary source of some of these stories they are clearly science fiction because you know solaris for instance is about is about you know not just Expansion of humanity, you know, like like in, like westward ho, you know, and uh, manifest destiny. No, it's about humanity's expansion into the universe and the problem of it being egocentric versus not. Now, if that's the psychological drama that's going on with Solaris, you know, the guy, the psychologist goes to try to figure out why the crew on this spaceship around this new planet are all going insane. Mm-hmm. There's this very deep psychological story going on. Yeah, but so it doesn't it drama or is it science fiction? Well, you know.
1: No, I and it doesn't have to. You could put that I could say the same thing to you that you said uh, regarding the uh, you could put that on a uh, a tanker ship in the middle of an ocean and you could still have the same film.
2: No, you wouldn't because it's not it's not the issue of human it's not the issue of why people have this need to go off into spaces where quote unquote they don't belong, you know, it's quote unquote. Well, so, I, I think really what you have to come down to is, is, is the definition of the genre. And when you look at all the great science fiction writers, mm-hmm. how they define what constitutes a science fiction story, the one, one of the top one, and they all talk about this, Asimov, Heinlein, all of them, is that the science component is absolutely essential to tell the story, and it's always a story about how technology changes people.
1: Well, I would say that's that's a good definition, and I would say that all the movies we've talked about that I consider science fiction do not invalidate that. Um,
2: okay, we're we're going to have to have a fist fight now. <laughs> well, you've been training, so I don't know. About that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, some of them are more clear than others for sure, but I, I think a lot of the ones I mentioned, I, I I think they're, I think they, you know, I don't think we would all disagree with on, on the choices I made no no the choices you made are
1: good I just uh, I just resist your narrow definition of uh, science fiction and with all due respect to the masters like Asimov and, Hi- and Heinlein they came from a very specific time in the world where science fiction was experiencing its golden and golden age um, but you know Heinlein and Asimov both had um, these kind of spaceship movies where that didn't make any sense that you know they weren't science-based and all that stuff so yeah. however they were defining science fiction i think it was after the after it was in retrospect they looked at it back not when they were doing their work i mean caves of steel the robot series and all that stuff that the the irobot series that that asimov is famous for is about robots going crazy because of the three laws of robotics Right, that
2: has, that's pure science fiction.
1: That doesn't have anything to do with the human experience. That has everything to do with the robots. It's oh amazing.
2: no! I oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Did you read? Did you, have you yeah. read all you, you don't think that that had that was making a statement about about what it means to be human?
1: I think one or two of them did
2: that, but not all of them were like oh, no, that. Not all of them. No, I mean they're making Foundation into a, a TV series. I know. I can't wait. Yeah. 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 Well, I read I read Foundation a couple of years ago. I read I read the whole series.
1: I did too. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah.
2: It's boring but, as hell.
1: But you're right, but it's a it's a it's a masterpiece in in world extrapolation.
2: Building. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a masterpiece in world building and all that. At some point these de- definitions become silly. Of course it's right. it's
1: extrapolated uh future. It's a, it's it's like the handmaidens handmaid's tale. It's extrapolation. Yeah. Did you guys did either of you mention Arrival? Yeah, I mentioned Arrival. Uh, yeah. I like that. I thought that belongs. Oh, uh,
2: just one of my. It's, that's absolutely one of my favorite movies. I yeah. just love that movie. It's so subtle.
1: Yeah. See, I would have a completely different list based more in the kind of Alien, Terminator, uh, Star Wars kind of thing. So maybe it's just a matter of individual taste. Also, you know, maybe we define our science fiction by the way we define what we want to see in a film. I certainly agree with both of your lists to a large degree. Um, I just don't think that the definition – I've always been – I've always railed against the definition of science fiction in Hollywood, which has been if it doesn't have aliens and spaceships in it, it's not science fiction. And that's where I'm coming from this list is there's plenty of science fiction out there that doesn't have uh, that – that you know, it doesn't have that narrow definition. But, well, uh, that's a good topic. We we should revisit that again too. I'm surprised also nobody mentioned WALL-E. <laughs> no.
0: That's, that's not science fiction that's just something that fell through uh, uh from the future and landed in our doorstep
1: today okay well i don't i i, I don't have any opinion <laughs> way or the other on it but uh good recycling is for suckers great lists i i thought they were i thought they were both very insightful i love the addition of the day the earth stood still which is still one of my favorite ones but blade runner for me would have to be number one with a bullet so
0: can for, can i ask whoever was. Is- I can hear like a kitchen timer going off.
1: Yeah. You know what? Uh, let me, let me go see what that is. I don't yeah. know what the fuck that is. Hold on. I'm, I think whatever it is,
0: the popcorn is ready, Mark. Go
1: get it. <laughs> I'll be, you probably won't hear it on the podcast, but I'll go, I'll go see what it is. So I'll be right back. Okay.
0: Okay. So this is the next high concept horror movie is, is, three guys recording a podcast. And then one of them says, I'll be right back. And doesn't come back. And, and then we just hear screaming. <laughs> and we're like, um, what do what, what we, what do we do?
2: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>
1: oh, my God.
2: Found footage, footage, podcast footage. You
0: know? oh. oh, we shouldn't even say it out loud. Somebody's like, I can do that. I don't even have a
2: phone. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I swear people come in my house and move things. I don't know if you guys have this experience, but that's a clock that that never gets touched it's in my bedroom and somehow the alarm got turned on okay now would that be sci-fi if it's a time traveler or horror if it's a ghost yeah but if it's in my head if it's all in my head then what is it then
0: um
1: psychological trauma (laughs) scary is what it is
0: uh from one of our listeners uh and it says I'll, i'll i'll just bake it down into the essential here. Is there a difference between registering your screenplay with the WGA and registering your screenplay with the copyright office Mm. and which one is better?
1: You know, that's, that's really interesting. That did come up at our event on Wednesday. Um, uh, James Hurston, who's an entertainment attorney who was our guest mentioned this as part of his um, presentation. And up until that point, I would have said no. The only difference is the price and the, and the length of term that you copyright. According to James, who's an attorney and, and probably should know, apparently, well, let me explain what it is first. The WGA allows you to to register anything. You can register anything you want. It doesn't have to be a script. It can just be a, a synopsis, a treatment, an outline, whatever. It's 20 bucks for non-members. You do it online, and they keep your um, material safe for five years, and then you have to re uh, re-register it because they apparently purge their files or something like that. It's twenty bucks. The U.S. Copyright Office is thirty-five dollars. They keep it forever. Once you establish a copyright with the government, it's it's forever, and it's thirty-five dollars. And they do online also. Um, now James brought up which I've known. For a long time, the distinction, this distinction, when you finish something, when you when you create something, either verbally on tape, or on paper, or you create a picture or an, a sculpture, the the process of doing that once it's done automatically copyrights your work. That's the law, but you have to prove it. So if you write a script and it's copyrighted, if you somebody says if somebody steals it, then you have to prove it. That's the reason you register it, according to James there are statutory protections that are gained with the copyright office that you do not get with the writers guild which one of which is proving uh, some sort of compensatory damage in other words you can you can't prove um like somebody steals your script and then uh doesn't sell it but ends up getting a deal because of it uh, i'm just spitballing here you can't prove that there were any compensatory damages or punitive or compensatory damages there because there was no money exchanged for your work but with the copyright office you're automatically protected with that and you can sue for those punitive and compensatory damages according to this is according to james so if the copyright office offers you different statutory protections then you should register with the copyright office My opinion is if it's already copyrighted when you create it and the Writers Guild is only proving it, aren't those federal uh, statutory protections already in place? And that's a question I tried to get to on Wednesday but could not. So I'm going to check on that and and report back. But that's basically the distinction.
0: Okay, so which is better? Better.
1: Well, Well, copyright. Copyright. Copyright office. Because you get, according to James, you get better protections with the U.S. Copyright Office than you do with the Writers Guild. I, again, I I can't say that that's true or false at this point. It's it's James who's an attorney. Mr. Herson has been an entertainment attorney for a long time. So if he's saying it, I would trust him. But I'm going to check with my attorney, who is also an entertainment attorney, and find out if that's. Uh, correct or what the distinction is. But according to James Herson, it is the copyright office. And honestly, for 15 bucks more for a lifetime protection, I, I really do think it's worth it, although the Writer's Guild is very convenient. Well, I, that's what I was going to ask perhaps as a follow-up is, uh, apart from my own general
0: paranoia, is, is all of the above a bad solution if you really want to make sure you're covered? Uh,
1: belt and suspenders, you mean? Belt and suspenders, yeah. I, you know, I don't think so. I don't think you need both. Um, it's just another, I mean, one. why not if you can afford it? it's 50, That's 55 bucks. But most writers are, are living on slim margins, so it's an extra 20 bucks. They don't need to spend you know, my.
2: I, I've been told by my lawyer and an IP lawyer that I knew, knew as well that um, when it comes to intellectual property, um, copyright office is the only way to go in terms of proving chain chain of title mm-hmm. um, whenever production companies have to go in and actually ver- verify the chain of ownership, they don't go to the guild. You know, they only, they only go to see, you know, what's, what's the history on the ownership of the copyright mm-hmm. it's legal, you know, from a federal government definition and copyright office definition. They don't, they don't go by, you know, who's registered or not registered with the, with the writer's guild.
1: Well, the writer's guild offers a third party independent third party verification that you created this script on a certain date because you've registered it on a certain date. That's all they offer. They don't, they don't offer any. Right. There's
2: no, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no, my understanding is there's no, I guess, you know, to use use that legal terminology, there's no statutory, you know, protections, uh, guarantees or protections because you're with the writer's guild. They, yeah, but, all, but, but all they are is one more pair of eyes that say, yeah we got this on this date from this person
1: but you're I think you're misunderstanding or maybe not taking into consideration the idea that when you create it it's copyrighted by no, the law
2: absolutely no I, I understand I understand that but like you said you know you and you said it yourself just doing that isn't, isn't necessarily proof. Right. But my, again, my point is, is if you're
1: already protected by the copyright laws that are in place by creating it, by making it, I can't remember the phrase that James used. It was like something like making it real or something like that. But if you're protected, then all you have to do is prove it. And the, the writer's Guild offers it. You don't have to prove it by a copyright for the copyright office. It's already copyrighted, but you can use, I don't know. Anyway, I, I, it's a really interesting discussion my advice would be, for now, use the Copyright Office. It's 35 bucks. It's online. It's, it definitely offers you uh, the protections you need. And if uh, – I'd like to – maybe we should talk to the Writers Guild, uh, somebody there, maybe their legal department or something, and see if we can define it better
2: for our, our listeners. Um, I can't imagine that they would have that kind of service if it were, there wasn't some value to it.
1: Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's been around forever, so – yeah it's been already, yeah exactly
1: yeah well anyway that uh, that question did come up and on Wednesday, and I'm really glad that uh, somebody uh, we pulled that from the archives or wherever we got it. I don't know Toby's uh backpack or something, I think it was yeah, probably so.
0: well, let me jump in at this time and say that if you the listener, have any questions. That's called a segue, boys and girls. <laughs> uh, you can get in touch with us through one of the many, many, basically, uh, as I said before, if you just type it into a browser and you don't get us, uh, you spelled it wrong. But uh, we're at plotpoints.com. Uh, we're also on most of your uh, preferred social medias. Uh, I think we're on Facebook, but we're hiding uh,
1: no, we have- we're hiding all
0: our personal information.
1: We have all, we have everything.
0: Yeah, so just uh, if you uh, get in touch with a question or if you didn't like uh, our sci-fi discussion or if you have your own sci-fi movie top, let's just keep it to three though because there's a lot of you out there and uh, we can weigh over those and uh, tell you what we think about that. But like I said, PlotPoints.com, there's, uh, that's where you can get the episodes. There's also a mail form where you can ask us that way um, and get in touch and let us know what you think. Mark?
1: Yeah. And don't forget we are, uh, affiliated. I don't know exactly how to say any of this. Uh, I'm never sure, but OC screenwriters, uh, Toby is a board member as as am I and Jeff is a friend of the organization. So you can go to OCScreenwriters.com. You can actually play the podcast from OCScreenwriters.com and we still get credit cause it's hooked into Libsyn, which is our uh, podcasting host. And, uh, uh, the, for information on our Wednesday events, which happen every third Wednesday, uh, go to OC Film and TV or OCFilmAndTelevision.com, and uh, you can find uh, information about our upcoming speakers. Again, it's basically networking in Orange County, which is, folks, we really need this. We need to, we need to band together and force Hollywood to recognize the, the OC as a legitimate source of creative energy and talent. Um, there's a lot of great talent here that uh, that just needs a form and just needs some connections, and so that's that's always been our goal in OC screenwriters, and so we founded o- OC Film and TV in order to make that possible. Um, and I'd just like to say uh, also to my co-host guys, this was this was fantastic. I I loved disagreeing with you both uh, about uh, everything. <laughs> Well, who wants to listen to a podcast where everybody's agreeable? I'm all about. I'm all about that. I'm, dude. I'm Italian, so I'll, uh,
2: I'll, I'll. Uh, in fact, I'll so, see my family. Oh my, northern Italian, so.
0: <laughs> oh wait now let's have an argument about northern italian versus southern italian
2: <laughs> well of course
1: i'm from the, my family's from the central central italy oh so you see you guys like
0: I'm fence writing.
2: so wait are we gonna is this
0: like the white sauce versus the red sauce no it's i like it
1: i like all that Just sauce right among yourselves
2: all about gravy. Gra- do, do you know that that pasta sauce is called gravy in italy
1: oh yeah no. they call like, it like they call it that in new york too
2: Oh, but
0: can we agree that Olive Garden is the best Italian restaurant?
1: Sure, why not? As long as you're living in a fantasy world, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Toby Walwork and uh, Jeff Lyons, uh, you are, you are uh, gentlemen and scholars. I do appreciate your time and your insight into uh, the world of film. Um, and I look forward to many, many, many more uh, online uh, discussions with you on this podcast. And uh, as always, listeners and, and fellow travelers, be inspired, do good work.